الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على عبد الله ورسوله نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين أما بعد So our talk today this is now for everyone we did the AMU class for the teenagers we did the AMU class for the younger kids this now is for everyone so there's no reason for anyone to be sitting in the back of the hall you guys can Mali Arakum Azeen, why am I saying you all sat separately? Come a bit forward. Better for you. I know everybody wants to sit against the wall. I don't know why, but no problem. Labas, we will not complain. I'll come a little close so we inshallah we have more of a class. Our discussion for this, which is our penultimate talk today, it's our second last talk is the topic of living in the end times. How is it like to live in what we would call zaman, the time when the world is about to end? And in this, I really want to talk about living through it. I don't want to talk about what happens, because I've done talks like that, the signs of the hour and all that stuff. We've talked about it. But I want to talk about how you live, how do you behave, how do you worship Allah? Some of the scholars, they call it fi zaman al-fitan, in the times of trials and tribulations. Before we talk about that, we do have to do a little bit of an introduction to akhirul zaman, the end of time. So the signs of the hour are divided into two. Ashratul sa'a, al-kubra, and Ashratul Sa'a As-Sughra, the major signs and the minor signs. How do we differentiate between the two? So the minor signs happen over a long period of time. Already the minor signs have been happening for 1,440 years and more. Because the first of the minor signs was the coming of the Prophet Muhammad so that's now more than 1,450 years since the first minor sign came. So the time of the minor signs is very long. As for the major signs, the time that they happen, they happen in a very short space of time. As for the minor signs, the minor signs are normally things which are to a certain extent normal and usual. But they are signs. For example, people competing with building high buildings. This in itself is not necessarily yani, miraculous in nature. Yani somebody built a building that had three floors, then someone built one that had four floors, then someone built one that had 50 floors, then someone built one that had 160 something floors. And yani they are competing with each other in building tall buildings. This in itself is not something that is miraculous or supernatural in nature. As for the major signs, they are typically supernatural in nature. And they are very, very unusual and extremely, uh, extremely rare. So for example, the Dajjal, the coming of the Dajjal and what the Dajjal will do. It's not something normal, right? It's not within the normal things that you see. For example, from the signs of the hour is uquq al-walidain, being bad to your parents. 
being bad to your parents, as bad as it is, but it's something which is not outside of the realm of normality. As for the major signs, they are typically outside of the realm of normality. The sun rises from the west instead of the east. A beast comes out of the earth and speaks to people and brands them. So this is something very, very, very different. The major signs all happen one after the other in close proximity. When the Dajjal comes, immediately after the Dajjal comes Isa. And Isa comes at the end of the, of the time of the Dajjal. And then immediately when the Dajjal has been killed, who comes? Ya'juj and Ma'juj. And then after that come the following signs, one after the other, and the sun that rises from the west and the beast that comes out of the earth and the smoke and the three chasms that open in the earth. And finally, the last of the signs is a fire that will start in Aden, in Yemen, and it will drive the people to their place of resurrection in Asham, in Syria. These signs are not normal, but the minor signs are things that we see around us, but they are in themselves a sign. Also, the minor signs have no specific ruling. Just because it's a sign doesn't mean that it's haram, necessarily. For example, it's not haram to live in a tall building or to build a tall building. It's a sign. So when you see it, you realize the closeness of the hour. Now, that being said as a brief introduction, if we look at the minor signs, Wallahi, almost... You cannot find almost a single one of them that has not yet happened. Unless it is a sign that the scholars said it will happen during the time of the major signs. What I mean by that is the minor signs have three situations. Some of the minor signs happened and finished. For example, the sending of the Prophet Muhammad he was sent then the Prophet ﷺ died. Those things have happened. They're not going to happen in the future. They've happened already. The second category is a sign that has happened but is getting worse. For example, Kathratul Qatl, a lot of killing, people killing each other, such that the person who kills the other person doesn't know why they killed them. And the person who was killed doesn't know why they were killed. This also it happened why is that and it's getting worse and it will continue to get worse and worse and worse until the coming of the Dajjal or until the end of the world so there are some of these minor signs they happen but they're getting worse every day being bad to your parents people were bad to their parents before but it's getting more and more and more until the Prophet like he said that the slave girl will give birth to her mistress. And I believe that the stronger opinion about this hadith is it refers to being bad to your parents, that a, a woman, will, a girl will treat her parents so badly, she will treat them like a mistress will treat a slave. And we see this among our, among, yani, our society. We do. Kids say to their parents, bring me this. Do this for me. Why are you saying, why are you telling me I can't do this? And they talk to their parents like you would talk to a slave. 
any worse even than a servant, any, even than you would talk to a servant. So they see their parents as servants to them, not that they are servants to their parents. It's getting worse. Taqarubu zaman The time becoming compressed. So you feel like a year goes by and you didn't even do anything. Any, like a day goes by. When is the time this will get the worst? Can anyone tell me? We know there's a time when, when taqarubu zaman will become the worst of the worst. The Dajjal, because what will happen? One day, one day. Yeah, day, like a year, like the time is just all goes, like it's wrong. One day is like a year, one day is like a month. And like the time is all different. And all the time, the, the way that you understand time is different. But now, do we not see that time passes by and nothing gets done? Days pass by, used to say, Wallahi, like people used to write between, you know, Asr and Maghrib, they used to write books. Now, three, four years goes by, a person can't finish the one you know, article they were writing. But is it getting worse? Yes, it's getting worse. Taqarubul aswaq is one of the signs of the hour, that the markets will become near. And there are many ways to understand that. One is that all the markets come together into one place, like the big malls and the big, you know, all the markets in one place. But um, more, even more than that is the nearness of international trade. For example, I can order something from China that arrives within one week. I can order something from the States, it'll arrive next day or two days later. And he's so far away. It's like the, the, the aswaq became near to me even though they are far away. Like all the markets became near to me. I can order something, when I'm sitting in Newcastle, I can order something from London, it will arrive sometimes and if it doesn't arrive the same day, then it arrived the next day. So it became like the aswaq became closer. But what do you see? It started with, you know, two-day delivery. Then, next-day delivery. Then, same-day delivery. Then, yani, delivery within a number of hours or something like that. So it's getting also, yani, it's getting also more like that, yani, taqarabul aswaq. So it's something that happened, but it's getting more and more and more. From the signs that we're going to talk about in a moment is Dhuhur al-Fitan, the trials and tribulations. Like, have trials and tribulations happened to the Muslims before now? They have. Does anyone know what you would call the first trial, the first real fitna? that happened to the Muslims. The first real fitna that happened to the Muslims. Okay, the death of the Prophet for sure is the first calamity that happened to the Muslims, no doubt. The great calamity that happened, Al-Musibatul Kubala, no doubt is the death of the Prophet because revelation stopped and the ability to go back and get your religion confirmed for you stopped. So there's no doubt. But in terms of a fitna, where the Muslims split and started to fight each other and argue with each other and not see eye to eye, and problems started to happen among Muslims, when was this? Before the Battle of the Camel. Before, before. 
Uthman, the killing of Uthman. The killing of Uthman is really the first major fitna that the Muslims go through. Yes, Umar was killed. And yes, Umar was murdered, but Umar was killed by a non-Muslim, right? Somebody who never claimed Islam for themselves. And he was Majusi. He was a Majin and he never claimed Islam for himself. So Umar was killed by a non-Muslim. So it didn't shake the Ummah. But Uthman was killed by a group of people who claimed to be Muslim. Yani they came and they, the rabble, yani they came and they were being driven by the Munafiqeen. And they, in the end, they overcame Uthman in his house. And it said the one who killed him was a Munafiq. It said, and there's some evidence that the one who killed Uthman was a Munafiq. But the fact that it was someone who claimed Islam and the people involved, some of them were Muslim. They were like rabble, any like ignorant people. But the point is that now the Muslims don't agree what to do next. Ali radiallahu an is forced to become the Khalifa. By force. And they told him, if you don't accept this role, we will kill everybody in Medina. So he's forced to accept it. But now that he's accepted it and he's become istaqarra and he's become solid in his place, he's the Khalifa. So now there's a problem. What do we do with the killers of Uthman? Because in, in Islam, by default, they should be killed. But there's two problems. The first one is that the Muslim army has not come back. So the Muslims don't really have the ability to kill or to arrest the people who killed Uthman. Not easily, without a big fight and without a lot of bloodshed. So that's one problem. The other problem is they don't know who it is. They don't know who killed him. They know a rabble, a group of people who all ran over his house, but they don't know exactly who is responsible for what. So Ali makes ijtihad. He makes a decision for himself. And the decision that he makes for himself is that at this moment in time, right now, we are not going to take any action. Not because we shouldn't. He agrees. We have to take action. But we're going to wait for the Muslim army to return. And we're going to wait for things to settle. And then we're going to take action. The relatives of Uthman, they wanted immediate action. Among them, Muawiyah and others who were from the close relatives of Uthman. And among them were some of them who from the Ashar al-Mubashirin al-Jannah. Zubair al-Awam and others who wanted to see immediate action. So now the Sahaba don't agree on the next step. And now we start to get into fitan. The Munafiqeen see and they try to stir trouble between people and they try to make people fight. And in the end, the Muslims fight each other. What is our position on the Muslims fighting each other among the Sahaba? As the poet, he said, فَقَتِيلُهُمْ مِّنْهُمْ وَقَاتِلُهُمْ لَهُمْ وَكِلَاهُمَا فِي الْحَشْرِ مَرْحُمَانِ he said the one who was killed among them was a Sahabi. And the one who killed among them was a Sahabi. And both of them, Allah will have mercy on them Yawm Al-Qiyamah. As Allah said, All of them Allah promised Jannah. And that means that they tried their best. Yani they were in a difficult situation where they couldn't see. And both had evidences. And from that is that the scholars of fiqh among the Sahaba were in half. Half of them said, yeah, that's right. And another half of them said, no, the other way is right. So now it's a fitna. This is the beginning of the fitna. Do you think these fitna got worse or better? Got worse. As time went on, 
until now the fitting among the Muslims and the killing and uh, any the situation of the Muslims is worse than it was at any other time. And there are many, many, many other signs, the loss of amana, responsibility, many other things that can be considered among the minor signs. So now, as we have established, and I have a video, I have videos on these signs already, so I don't want to go into too much detail, but I wanted to establish that we are now living in a time where most of, or many of, the minor signs have already happened. Some of them are getting worse. Are there some minor signs that have not happened at all? Yes. But among the scholars are those who say that these signs will not necessarily happen before the major ones. There is no rule that says minor signs stop and major signs start. No way. Rather, some of the minor signs will happen during the time of the major ones. So is there any minor sign left which we can guarantee will happen before the major signs? All that is left are the minor signs that happen immediately before the Dajjal. Like fighting against the Europeans or the Byzantines. Like the second conquest of Constantinople. Like uh, the famine that will happen for three years before the Dajjal comes. That is the only ones that you can say, definitely this didn't happen. Otherwise, every other thing that you have, you are living right at the end of time. I don't know how long it is before the Dajjal will come. No one has that knowledge. That is with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But if you compare the signs the Prophet spoke about, you cannot believe except that you are right at the very, very end of time. And that means now, if you don't see the Dajjal with your own eyes, perhaps your children will see him with theirs, or your grandchildren. But you cannot believe that there are many left, many generations left. Based upon the hadith, you can't see virtually anything that would say to you, for example, if the famine, the famine happens three years before the Dajjal, right? In the first year, a third of the, of the, of the earth's produce is cut, in the second year, two-thirds, and in the third year, all of the earth doesn't produce anything. Is there any single reason why that could not happen next year? I don't know. Or the year after, or in five years' time, or in six years' time. For you are living at the end of time. You are living not at the end of time itself, but in the end times in the times which come towards the end of the dunya. You're not in the middle of it. The Prophet said, Me and the hour were sent like these two fingers. And in the difference between the length of your index finger and your middle finger. It's very, very close. Now the, the earth has been around for a long time. So that's your index finger. The earth has been around for a long time. But now there is not much after the Prophet we don't know exactly how many years the earth has been around for, so we can't say, okay, the earth was around for, you know, 20,000, so there is 2,000, so there is 2%. But this is to show you the very, the closeness of the hour. So living in this time, how do we survive living in this time?
The Prophet ﷺ said in a hadith in Sahih Muslim from the hadith of Abi Hurairah radiyallahu an, an in Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam annahu qal, Bada al-Islamu gharibah, wa sayaudu gharibah kama bada, fatuba lil ghurabah. He said, Islam began as something strange. And Islam is going to go back to being something strange. So Tuba, and Tuba is either paradise or it's a tree in paradise. <coughs> Tuba will be for the people who are strangers. There is an explanation from the Prophet ﷺ about this. But first of all, how did Islam start as something strange? Remember when the Prophet ﷺ first came to, to tell people about Islam, was it the case that hundreds of people just entered into Islam in crowds? No, it wasn't. When did people enter Islam in crowds? After the conquest of Mecca. Then the people entered into Islam afwaja in big numbers. Before that, one person, another person. And the people found it strange. They said, has he made all of the gods into one God? This is something very strange. We never heard any of our fathers doing things like this, worshipping one God. So Islam was strange. Even to the people that accepted Islam, among the community, it was strange. It was different. It was something that the people were not used to. And Islam will return to be like that. I don't say that we reach the worst of this. Because it's something that's getting worse over time. But Islam is, Islam is becoming stranger and stranger to people. When you tell people about worshipping Allah alone, they look at you like, this is ajeeb. We never heard our fathers say this. When you tell people they can't make dua to the people in the graves, they would say to you, All of our fathers used to go to the graves and pray to the dead. We don't know anyone who didn't do this. Islam became strange. When you see people pray five times, one of the brothers was telling me that someone said to him, you're the only Muslim I know that prays five times a day. Now, I'm not saying he knows every Muslim. And I'm, of course, there are many Muslims around the world that pray five times a day. But now it became rare and more and more rare. Implement the sunnah. For example, the sunnah in the way you dress. Straight away, people look at you like, what are you doing? What are you, wear what are you wearing? Why, why are your clothes above your ankles for? The Prophet used to do that. This is ajib, gharib. We never saw this in our life. The sunnah became strange to people. And I'm not saying that it reached the peak, but it's getting more and more strange. Paradise is for who? The people who lived in the very early time of Islam, when Islam was strange, and the people who will come at the end of time and practice Islam when Islam is something strange. It was said, O Messenger of Allah, Many al-ghuraba, O Messenger of Allah, this is in the hadith of uh, Thabit, radiallahu an, in a narration, Ya Rasulullah, many al-ghuraba, O Messenger of Allah, who are the strangers? 
He said, Those who make things right when the people have become lost or corrupt. Those people who bring people back to the Quran and the Sunnah in the time when people lost it. And in another narration, They correct what the people corrupted from my Sunnah. They take what the people lost from the Sunnah, what the people have forgotten from the Sunnah, what the people have done of bid'ah. Because al-fasad of his Sunnah is bid'ah, right? Like corrupting the Sunnah means bringing innovations. They correct these innovations. They make the Sunnah dominant again. They bring the Sunnah out to the people again. And he said, هم أناس صالحون قليل في أناس سوء في أناس He said, هم أناس صالحون قليل في أناس سوء كثير أو كما قال He said, they are a few righteous people among many evil people. And I can't say to you that we reach that time exactly. But there is no doubt, wallahi, there is no doubt that we are living in a time where very few Muslims, comparative to the whole Muslims in the world, very few are committed to practicing Islam. And out of those who practice their religion, very few practice it upon the Sunnah. I believe statistically that's true. If you look at all the Muslims in the world and you take the basic principles of Islam, let's just talk about, for example, the sha'air, the five times daily prayer, for example, the hijab uh, or fasting in Ramadan, you know, like the, the things that Islam is known for. Many, many Muslims around the world today are not practicing. Islam is a minority in the world today, right? Islam is not the majority of people in the world today. Islam is the minority. From the people who are Muslim, the people who are practicing, I'm not talking about different groups or sects. I'm just talking about people who pray five times a day, the women wear proper hijab, you know, the people fast Ramadan, and all that, the, the most basic things. I don't know if you can say a minority, I'm not sure. But it's not everybody. And it's like there was a time, remember, if you, you came into the middle of the, you know, even the Abbasid Caliphate, you could not find from the east of the place to the west somebody that doesn't pray five times a day. Now, look at Jumu'ah. Jumu'ah, the masjid, is out onto the street. And yet, when you come at Fajr, Dhuhr, Asr, one saf, two saf, three sufuf. Then, among those people who pray five times a day, how many of them are staunch in sticking to the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ? And how many of them fell into bid'ah, khurafat, innovations and bad practices, I believe the people practicing a sunnah are a minority inside of a minority inside of a minority. They're an aqalliya inside of an aqalliya inside of an aqalliya. The Muslims are already a minority. Within them, the people who are practicing properly and doing the main points of Islam are also relatively small. And within them, the people who are practicing the sunnah are also a minority. When you go to a city, how often you go to a city and you find any, the main three, four masajid in the city are all practicing according to sunnah? It's not that common. 
So it's not about any percentages. I don't know to say 50%, 40%, 60%. But no doubt it's getting more and more strange and more and more limited in the people who are practicing Islam according to the sunnah of the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and what the companions understood. Then among them there's an even stranger group. And they are the people who are not just practicing but trying to correct what the people have done wrong and trying to bring people back to the sunnah. And they are the ones who the Prophet called Al-Ghuraba. The people who الَّذِينَ يُصْلِحُونَ عِنْدَ فَسَادِ النَّاسِ The people who make things right when the people have corrupted them. The people who make things right when the people have corrupted them. So this is the first point that I wanted to make about living at the end of time. Be from the ghuraba. Be from the strangers. Don't worry that people find it strange that you come to the masjid for fajr and people find it strange that you don't work in this haram job and people find it strange that you don't mix freely between men and women and people find it strange that the sister wants to wear niqab and people find it strange. Don't worry about how many people find what you do to be strange. In this time we live in, if people look at you as strange, this is a sign that you're upon the truth. Not always, because you have to bring that in terms of the Quran and Sunnah. But generally speaking, if you're practicing Islam and people find you practicing Islam to be strange, paradise is for the people who are strange. That's the first thing. Also is strive to be from the people who bring the Sunnah back to life. Many times you'll find Sunan people will look at you like you are a different religion. For example, praying two raka'ah before Maghrib. The Prophet said, Sallu qabla al-Maghrib, Sallu qabla al-Maghrib, Sallu qabla al-Maghrib, pray before Maghrib, pray before Maghrib, pray before Maghrib, liman arad aw kamaqal, whoever wants to do it. Rarely you will see people pray two raka'ah before Maghrib, between the adhan and the iqamah. How many people you see after they prayed Qiyamul Layl when they come to the masjid, they lie in the saf and they close their eyes between the adhan of Fajr and the iqamah. There are so many things from the sunnah people forgot. Bring the sunnah back to life. Learn the sunnah, practice it and teach it to people and bring it back to life. الَّذِينَ يُصْلِحُونَ مَا أَفْسَدَ النَّاسُ مِنْ sunnati. The people who make right what the people corrupted from my sunnah. What does it require to make right what the people corrected from the for the people corrupted from the sunnah? It requires knowledge. It requires, in reality, four things. It requires, first of all, knowledge that you know the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ, so you know what to tell people to do and not to do. The second is that you yourself practice that sunnah in your life. The third thing is you tell people about it. You see someone not practicing the sunnah in something. Say, Akhi, did you know the Prophet used to do this? So we can do it as well. Practice the sunnah. Tell people about it and be patient. Because you are gharib. You are very, very rare among the people if you do this. So people will see you to be a bit strange that you're telling people to practice the sunnah and you're bringing these sunnah back to life. Ihya sunnah And you're telling the people to follow it People will see you to be strange They'll say, Ya Akhi, you're not the majority 
You're not the majority. بدأ الإسلام غريبا وسيعود غريبا كما بدأ فطوبى للغرباء. Learn your religion, practice it, teach people the sunnah, and be patient. Because when you do this, you will be strange to people. So help people to understand it in a good way. That's another point. I mean, sometimes people, they speak or they behave in a way that is strange so that people don't understand them. Explain to people the way they can understand. They help people to really understand what the sunnah is. This is a sunnah. Did you know the Prophet used to do this? Really? I didn't know. Help people to understand it. And it also means you must be careful not to speak without knowledge. Because if you speak without knowledge, there is no doubt that speaking without knowledge is something which makes the situation at the end of times worse. There is a hadith. The Prophet وسلم, he told us, Allah does not snatch away knowledge. Allah does not snatch away knowledge intiza'an. Allah doesn't snatch away knowledge and just like that, you wake up one day and there's no more knowledge. But Allah causes the scholars to die. Until if Allah doesn't leave a scholar left, and in a narration, the people took ignorant people as their leaders. So instead of getting their religious leadership from the ulama, they took their religious leadership from some person on YouTube. How many times have we seen this? Until today, wallahi, if you want a sign of living in the end of times, wallahi, this, and he's seeking, and he's talibul ilm, akhdul ilm, and he's sagair taking knowledge from people who don't deserve to give it out. Taking knowledge from people who don't deserve to give it out. Now we're not talking about the students of knowledge because here, like they said, man rawa an kabirin fahuwa kabir. Whoever narrates from someone senior is senior. But the point here is that people are taking knowledge from people on YouTube. This person never, doesn't have even practiced Islam. Like some of these, uh, I don't know what you call them, yani, personalities on YouTube who are giving out Islamic knowledge. Some of them, wallahi, they are faqidul istiqama. They don't even practice the most basic thing of Islam. You look at the person, you think, this is like some, I don't know what this thing is on, on, the, on this YouTube channel. They don't even practice Islam, not even yani, in the small things that you see. And this person is giving fatawa to people. We have situations of people, wallahi, someone calls himself a mufti or sheikh, they're on YouTube giving fatawa, they have no istiqama. They don't even practice the religion at all, let alone yani, know the religion to teach it to other people.
You have women, yani sisters, giving fatawa. doesn't wear hijab. She's giving fatawa to people. Your religion is like this, halal, haram. Ya ukhti, look in the mirror first. Then teach the people about Islam. Wallahi, this is the situation we are in. Ru'usan juhala, ignorant fools. And the people ask them about Islamic knowledge. You have celebrity people come in culture, people who, like their person doesn't know how to recite Surah Al-Fatiha. And the people ask them, Sheikh, what do you think about this? Is it halal or haram? Haram. <laughs> the person doesn't know how to recite Surah Al-Fatiha. How can you ask them knowledge of Islam? Then they give the knowledge without knowing how to give it. And if they don't know that knowledge, they give the answer. They misguide themselves, they misguide others. So it's very important when you revive the sunnah, you revive it based upon knowledge. Now we talked about knowledge, but action is also very important, acting upon it. Abi Huraira narrated from the Prophet ﷺ that he said, Badiru bil a'mali fitana. He said, rush to do good deeds before the trials will come. Like pieces of the dark night. He said, rush to do good deeds before trials come like pieces of the dark night. The trials that will come one after the other. From the signs of the hour is Dhuhurul Fitan. That trials will come one after the other after the other. They will come like pieces of the dark night, just after one after the other after the other. A person feels like they're in darkness. Then as if they can see a light, the darkness comes again. Then as if they can see the darkness comes one after the other. Problems, trials and tribulations. A person wakes up as a believer and goes to sleep as a disbeliever. Or goes to sleep as a believer and wakes up as a disbeliever. They sell their religion for some small piece of this world. The point I wanted here is Badiru bil a'mal. What should you do when you're coming to this time? Is it not a time of fitan? We're in a time of fitan. We said the fitan are getting worse day by day by day. Alhamdulillah, you guys are living in a relatively safe place. A place you can come to masjid five times a day. You can pray, you can practice your religion. Tomorrow, this place may not be safe like it was yesterday. Badiru bil a'mal. Rush to do your deeds now. Because I'm telling you, if you look at the countries where civil war brought, broke out, you don't see the people coming to the masjid five times a day anymore. And if you think you're going to get shot by a sniper when you put your head out of the door, like it happened Qareeb and not far away, not long ago. I've been to countries and seen with my own eyes the bullet marks in the wall where if somebody came out of their house, the sniper shot them from on top of a building. They couldn't leave their house. Or if they went to the shop, sometimes the snipers and they would even, and we saw with our own eyes the, the marks and the, the consequences, they would say, the sniper would try to get two or three with one bullet. And if he could get a pregnant woman and kill her and her child with the same bullet, he would do it. 
If you're in that situation, you cannot now go for your classes and do your durus and go to your hifth class and memorize Quran and come nicely to the masjid five times a day. Fitan, haraj. People are killing each other. People are killing each other. Al-harj. In this situation, you must now take advantage of the chance you have today. Because tomorrow this place may not be safe anymore. Next week it may not be safe anymore. How many places we see from the non-Muslims the country is safe the next day? Problems, fighting, riots. It doesn't have to be a war. It could even be rioting among people, right? As we've even seen in this country in, in certain times in the past. Suddenly the city is inflamed and riots and people trying to beat each other up and people are scared for themselves. If you don't take advantage of the blessings you have today, you don't know where you will be tomorrow. You don't know where your health will be. You don't know where you will be in terms of safety and security in the country you live in. You don't know where the Muslims will find themselves. So, Rush to do your good deeds now while you have a chance to do them. Because the trials will become so bad that a person will wake up in the morning and before the evening came, they left Islam. And a person will go to sleep in the evening and before the morning comes or when the morning comes, they left Islam. It's a very, very, very serious situation. So we must do righteous deeds when we have the chance. Right now, there are people in the world don't have safety and security. There are people in the world who are not able to safely go to the masjid or go to their classes or learn. There are people who don't have access to the live streams and the online learning and all that stuff that you guys have. Take advantage of it now before things get worse. And if you say, look, UK is fairly stable, you know, inshallah, it's not going to get that bad. What will you do if the Dajjal comes in three years time? What, you think they're going to welcome you here? The Jews and Christians are never going to be happy with you until you follow their religion. They're not happy with you here now, let alone about how they will be when the Dajjal comes. For a person should not be, should not feel safe. Do they feel safe from the plot of Allah? It's the losing people who feel that Allah is never going to make things go bad for me. Never will Allah make the situation change. Never will I be in a situation where I'm scared for my life or scared for my family. Who said that you'll never go through that? So rush to take advantage of the good opportunities you have now before things become worse. From the ahadith that I wanted to talk to you about, is the statement of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and it's along the same lines. Al-ibadatu fil harj kahijratin ilayhi. The hadith is narrated by Muslim. In a wording of Imam Ahmad, al-amalu fil harj kahijratin ilayhi. And in another wording in Tabarani, al-ibadatu fil fitna kahijratin ilayhi. Worshipping Allah at a time where people are killing each other is like making hijra to me. Or doing good deeds at a time where people are killing each other is like hijrah to me. 
And in another wording, worshipping Allah at a time of fitna, at a time of trials and tribulations, is like making hijrah to me. The people are fighting each other. People are killing each other. People are in a state of fitna. Any trials and tribulations are happening, problems are happening, calamities are happening. In that time, even, even let's talk about like uh, calamities in terms of like floods and famines. Any khalas, you saw what happened in the floods. Any after that flood, your masjid is ruined, your house is ruined. Who is now going to their Quran halaqah and sitting there to learn? You don't know what might happen. And when it happens, you have to rush to worship Allah. So even in a time of fitan, you should try to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Even when things are hard, still you worship Allah. Still you make time for your prayers. Still you make time to read your Quran, no matter what happens in your life. I don't know what you people will see in your life. But I fear that you will see many of these signs that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us about. So if you see them, don't stop worshipping Allah. وَعْبُدْ رَبَّكَ حَتَّى يَأْتِيَكَ الْيَقِينَ Worship Allah until that which is certain comes to you. From the ahadith that I wanted to talk to you about is the statement of the Prophet ﷺ. And the hadith is the first hadith that Imam Muslim brings in Kitab al-Fitan. The trial, the, the, the book of the trials and tribulations. That the Prophet said, La ilaha illallah, lil Arabi min sharrin qad He said, La ilaha illallah, woe to the Arabs. There is an evil that is very close. Futihal yawma min radmi ya'juja wa ma'juja mithlu hadhi. He said, There is a hole that is opened. For Ya'juj and Ma'juj to come out like this. And he made the sign of 10 on his finger. And he made a small hole with his finger. Like a small hole with his finger. Qultu Ya Rasulullah. The narrator says, and the narrator is uh, Zainab binti Jahsh. Radiallahu anha. She said, O Messenger of Allah, Anahliku wa fina salihun. Will we be destroyed while there are righteous people among us? He said, yes, if evil becomes widespread. So if evil becomes widespread among us, we could even be destroyed even though we are, we are trying to be righteous. However, a person might ask, What about the person, and there is a hadith, and the hadith, uh, it talks about a hadith of Um Salama with regard to the destruction of a people who are destroyed when they go along with an army. And there's an army that goes to destroy, or there's an army that goes to try to destroy. Uh, or to try to attack Makkah. And when they go with this 
army that goes to try to destroy the Kaaba or to try to attack a person within the Kaaba, Allah will cause the earth to open up and swallow this army. She said, Ya Rasulullah, فَكَيْفَ بِمَنْ كَانَ كَارِهَا What about the people who were dragged along with the army when they didn't mean to go? And if, for example, the people didn't want to go with the army, but they were forced, like enslaved. They were chained like prisoners. And the earth swallows them up. What about the people who come for trade? There are people who come to, to buy and sell. Are they, all going to be, are they all going to be swallowed up? The Prophet wasallam, he said, he said, All of them will be swallowed up. But each one of them will be resurrected on the day of judgment according to their intentions. The Prophet said, Do you see what I can see? From the hadith of Usama, uh, that the Messenger of Allah said, Do you see what I see? Inni la ara al fitani khilala buyutikum he said, I see the trials happening among your houses like the drops of rain. Everywhere the rain falls, there is going to be a trial that is going to fall between you like that. For a person needs to understand living in this time, as we said, taking advantage of the time before it comes. When the time comes, continuing to worship Allah Azza wa Jal, even during the difficult times. Come to know Allah in times of difficulty and Allah will come to know you at times of ease. In the hadith, Ta'arraf ila Allahi fi arifka fi shiddah. Come to know Allah at times of difficulty and Allah will come to know you at times of ease. And we mentioned the value of reviving the sunnah and reviving Islam in the time when the people have strayed from it. But I wanted to take something from all of this. Na'am idha kathur al-khabath. And maybe this is one of the last points I will make before we stop. I wanted to take that one of the ways that we can improve our situation is by reducing the evil that we see in our society. Like Allah Azza wa said, Kuntum khayra ummatin ukhrijat linnas. Ta'muruna bil ma'roofi wa tanhawna anil munkari wa tu'minuna billah. You are the best people that have ever been brought out for the people. You command what is good and you forbid what is evil and you believe in Allah. So telling people to do what is good and stopping people from doing what is evil. Correcting yourself, correcting your family, correcting the people around you so that it is not a situation where the evil increases to an extent where it becomes 
predominant, and then in that time, everybody can be destroyed. So if everyone is going to be destroyed, what must you be? You must have two things about you. You yourself must not have fallen into that sin that caused the people to be destroyed. And you must be making your efforts to correct as many people as you can. Commanding what is good and forbidding what is evil. And if you do that, inshallah, even if you are destroyed with them, you will not be raised with them. Yawmul One of the fitan I just wanted to highlight, I highlighted it yesterday, but I wanted to make an, an especial, a special point on it, is the trial of following the way of the people who came before you. The Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, You are certainly going to follow the ways of the people before you. You will certainly follow the ways of the people before you. Handspan by handspan. Handspan by handspan. And arm length by arm length. Until if one of them entered Hatta Laudakalu Juhra Dabbin Ladakal Tumu or in some narrations. You would follow them. They said, O oh, Messenger of Allah, do you mean the Jews and the Christians? Shibran, shibran, dhira'an Hand by hand and arm by arm. And this is one of the things that we have to stop happening to us if we want to be safe from the fitan at the end of times. Because in reality, who are those who follow the Dajjal? In reality. Primarily, they are Al-Yahud and Nasara. Why? Because as for the Jews, they rejected Isa and Muhammad وسلم, and they're waiting for their Messiah to come. And as for the Christians, they rejected Muhammad وسلم, and they're waiting for the coming, the return of Isa. But when the Dajjal comes, what is he going to tell people? I am that Messiah. And he's going to tell people that he is that Messiah. That he is that person who came, he is that prophet the Jews are waiting for, and he is that prophet that the Christians are waiting for. And then he will tell them that he is your Lord, but you will not see your Lord until you die. So in reality, those people who already are following the Jews and the Christians, when this fitna comes, will only increase in following them until they follow Al-Masih al-Dajjal. And the Prophet ﷺ said, وَمَنْ تَشَبَّهَ بِقَوْمٍ فَهُوَ مِنْهُمْ Whoever resembles a people is one of them. So we must have our distinct Muslim identity. I did a talk on that yesterday. I briefly took it offline. Just I want to make some small edits just to make sure that my points were as I wanted to say it. But I will put it back up, inshallah, in the next couple of days. Uh, this talk on Muslim identity is very important. Because in this time of fitan, if we don't stick to our Islamic identity and we allow ourselves to become assimilated with the Jews and the Christians, at the end of the day, every fitna that they fall into, we will only go behind them and fall into it with them. Why? Because the Prophet said, Shibran, Shibran, Dira and Bidira. Hand by hand and arm by arm, you will follow these people. What does he mean about Hujra Dab? The 
the uh, like the lizard's hole. The lizard's hole is a place that doesn't have a way out. It's a trap, right? You go in there, and it's completely like very, very narrow, very small space, and there's no way out from it. You see the person go there and get stuck. They can't escape. Then you go behind them and you get stuck. Then the next person comes behind and they get stuck. That's the meaning of you, key. you see them enter a lizard's hole and you follow them. This is not my personal opinion. This is what the Prophet ﷺ said. They said, O Messenger of Allah, do you mean the Jews and the Christians? Who else do I mean? That's what he said. Who else do I mean? We must be careful not to follow them. We must be careful not to resemble them. So that when the fitan come, we don't end up following them into the fitna. Following them into their trials and tribulations. And these fitan for them, what do they come from? They come from الظلم والجهل غير المغضوب عليهم والأبطالين. They come from people who know the truth but follow their desires and people who don't know their religion at all. And because the typical nature of the Yahud and the Nasara, Ahl Kitab, is that either they know what they should be doing but they don't do it, or they don't even know the difference between what's right and wrong. For this is what caused them to go into fitan and to go astray. And this is what will cause us to go astray if we don't stop this habit of following them. That's a good place for me to stop. It's time for the Adhan, inshallah ta'ala. After the Adhan, we take a couple of small questions from the audience, inshallah, uh, just briefly. And uh, we leave the video on for that, ta'ala. And then inshallah ta'ala, uh, we will break for our final lecture after Asr, which is going to be uh, on the topic of an invitation from Allah. Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar,
Okay, inshallah. So, let's see if we have some questions from uh, the brothers and sisters who are here. Just we take like maximum, maximum five to ten minutes. And then inshallah ta'ala, we will break for Salat al-Asr and our final talk of the day, which is going to be on the topic of an invitation from Allah. Do we have questions from the brothers? Sisters, you have had. As you like, whatever you think is best. Uh, what's your take on internet sheikhs? Can we take any beneficial knowledge from them? Internet sheikhs. <laughs> Wallah, look, the fact that someone teaches online, I don't see any harm with it. Many of our mashayikh, or mashayikh al-kibar, they teach online. My problem is someone who teaches without knowledge, whether they are on the internet or not on the internet. The internet is a wasila, a means for teaching. It doesn't matter whether they are on the internet or, or not on the internet. But do they teach with knowledge and do they practice the knowledge they teach? You know, you see someone, like, you, I, I can't even describe, I mean, you guys know the kind of people that I'm speaking about. But you see someone who is In every single meaning of the word, the person is a fasiq. They have not one single hand on practicing any part of Islam that you can see. And they're giving fatawa. For this is the problem, whether they're on the internet or off the internet. Naam. Hal min su'al? Wa alaykum salam. Shaykh, what's your opinion on the issue of mortgage as to give us to riba and interest for somebody who wants to get put into So with regard to the spread of riba, the spread of riba is one of the signs of the hour. The Prophet made it from the signs, one of the signs of the hour is intishar riba, that riba will be everywhere. As regards the ruling of riba, Allah Azza wa Jal, He said, Allah those who devour riba will not stand on the day of resurrection like, except like the ones who are beaten by the shaitan and possessed into insanity. That is because they say trading and riba is the same. Now, this is the first important point. They say there's no escape. Yani, riba and trading is the same. Yani, we, we have to do riba. Riba, we have to do it. But Allah has made trading halal and riba haram. So for example, Allah has made renting a house halal, and Allah has made riba in a house haram. There are some people who come and say, oh, you know, I can't rent renting and renting. That's because they say, riba. They say this renting and riba, it's, you know, renting, I pay more money. But Allah made renting halal, and Allah made buying halal, 
and Allah made buying it by cash halal, and Allah made borrowing it interest-free from someone halal, but Allah made riba haram. So whoever got the message from Allah and then they stopped, their affair is with Allah. And whoever goes back to riba after they got that message, they are the people of the fire and they'll be in it forever. The first thing is we understood that Allah made it haram. The second thing is that we understood that riba is not something that can be allowed for a hajah. There are two types of haram in Islam. There is something which is haram that can be allowed for a need. When people really need it. When people really need it. And there are things that cannot be halal except for a darura, a necessity. So for example, the issue of men and women being together in the same space. Haram, right? It's haram. But is it haram in of itself or it's haram because of what it leads to? It's haram because of what it leads to. So for example, in the market where you cannot easily have a separate shop for a man and another shop for a woman, they can use the same shop, but they keep as apart as much as they can and separate. Riba is not like that. Riba is something that is haram tahrimun asli. It's haram fi dhatihi in itself. So it can only be allowed for a darura, a necessity. And a necessity is something that would cause you to lose your life or similar to it. But what people are doing is they're allowing riba for a need. They say, look, I need riba. You know, I need a house of my own. But need is not the same as necessity. Then we come to the issues of the Islamic banks. And in reality, I'm not going to speak about every Islamic bank. I'm not qualified to sit here and say I've studied every Islamic bank. But a lot of Islamic finance, very sadly, it, in, it is built upon hiyal. It's built upon loopholes. It's built upon manipulating the Sharia. And it's not Islamically compliant. It just doesn't meet the standards the Prophet set. And again, I'm not talking about every bank or every country. There could be some great countries, some great banks. But I'm talking about the general trend in Islamic finance. Is what? Is hiyal, making loopholes, you know, changing the, the words of things, taghayyur al-asma, taking the word riba and call it ribah. Call it profit. Khalas. We charge you 2.5% ribh. Annual ribh rate. Annual profit rate. If I call it ribh or riba, al-asma la tughayr al-haqaiq. It's riba or it's not riba. That's it. Call it ribh. Call it fa'idah. Call it khair. Call it sadaqah. Call it what you like. Riba is riba. If it's riba, it doesn't matter what you change the name to. It's riba. So I would advise people at this moment in time that you don't go anywhere near a conventional mortgage in anything and that if you go for an Islamic mortgage, you check it and double check it and triple check every single condition that you don't end up going for something where they just change the word riba and call it ijar, rent. But rent has a nature, rent has a, has a condition for it and, and it, has it has rules for it. Oh, never mind the rules. We charge you 7.5% annual rent rate. <laughs> to be honest with you, am I renting or am I paying riba? You tell me. I'm not interested in the name. You can take sadaqah and call it riba if you want. The reality is what I'm interested in. Is it rent or is it riba? Make it clear to me. Which one is it? Rent or riba? Don't say to me it's rent because I call it rent. 
And don't say to me that a bottle of wine is grape juice because it's made out of grapes. Is it rent or is it riba? You make it clear to me with the shart, the conditions of renting in Islam. Is it rent or is it riba? Don't give me this, it's rent because I call it rent. That's a very serious issue. I do believe that there could be and should be and inshallah are financial institutions all over the world who are doing this properly. But I also am very scared by the general trend that it's okay to just change the name, cross out the word riba, write rent, and everyone will be happy it's halal for you. Just be careful of that. And be careful of other things that are haram, like selling what you don't own, like having two contracts combined into one contract, and other things that the Prophet ﷺ made haram. So my advice, inshallah, is that if you have to rent your whole life and you never own a house, inshallah, it's not going to hurt you, inshallah. Rather, do what you need to do. If you have to buy a house, try to lend the money from brothers, sisters, people practicing. Let them lend you some money, you pay some back. Say, buy a small house, then build upon it. Maybe sell it for a little bit more and buy a little bit bigger one. But don't have this thing that I have to have a mortgage because it's a darura. It's not a darura because there is an alternative. Uh, did we have any one from the sisters, last one? Give, give me the last one, inshallah, from the sisters, and I will try not to answer too long. Who would you recommend for women to seek knowledge from as the masjid are predominantly male focused? It's very true. We really do suffer from a lack of female scholars. Now, I don't say they are not there. For, for, for two reasons we suffer. Number one is we don't have a culture of producing female scholars. That's the first problem we have, which we used to have in the past. From the time of Aisha radiallahu anha and the Sahabiyat onwards, we had a culture of women who learned the religion to the highest standard that it can be learned. Female scholars of hadith, scholars of fiqh, we had it. The first problem is we left that. The second problem is that by nature a woman will be less visible than a man. Is that not the nature of Islam? By default, you do not expect the woman to have this you know, YouTube channel and she sat there in front of everyone, smile. Like, it is different. So first of all, the women, are, the, the women who have a culture of scholarship in Islam are fewer than they were in the past. And the second problem is they will not be obvious. You're not gonna find them in front of everyone sitting in front of the men teaching. Aisha, when the men used to come to her, they used to ask, min hijab, from behind a partition. So they would go to the door, they would knock, they would look away, they would say, our mother Aisha, what do you say about this hadith? What do you say about this issue in fiqh? And she would give them the fatawa and she would give them the hadith. So the first thing is to find those women is gonna be harder for you because you're gonna have to look for them. They're not gonna be in front of you on the stage. And the second thing is that the number of them is smaller than it was. So we need to encourage our women, our daughters, our sisters. We need to encourage them to have that dedication. And I believe one of the best means for this, wallahi, is online learning. Because it's difficult for a woman to travel without a mahram. She can't. And even if she has a mahram, it's hard for her to get at the feet of the male scholars, right? How she has to be behind the partition and how will she get access? Yes, yeah, she has female scholars, she finds, that's true. But it's not easy for her. But online really does provide a very, very good opportunity for her to study from very senior people. 
inshallah ta'ala. Our mashaykh from our major mashaykh, they have online courses. Sheikh Abdul Razak al-Badr, Habibullah ta'ala, he has courses and some of them, the courses are dedicated for sisters. In Dubai, we have Jamiat Dar al-Bir, they have a sister section. They always bring in mashaykh, scholars who teach. So there's opportunities there. Small opportunity, perhaps look at AMAU, Al-Madras Al-Umariya, which we have, uh, we accept both male and female students. And we have a really detailed, inshallah, very strong students of knowledge program, uh, which is going on, inshallah. So perhaps that could be a stepping stone. Does that mean, I think, that you should just take from there and not... No, you take from there and then use it as a stepping stone to access scholars. And then, you know, the sister, her husband takes her and she gets to see some of the mashayikh or she manages to speak to them by phone. There's ways. But start, at least the online provides you a good way of starting, inshallah ta'ala, and making a start. And ultimately, if we revive this culture, this sunnah of knowledge among our sisters and learning Islam properly, then the situation would improve a lot, inshallah ta'ala. And Allah knows best. So we're going to stop it there. We've got our last lecture coming up in 20 minutes-ish, sort of, inshallah. Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in.